it made us wonder, is this really the right time to deliver training? Because I understand the appeal of showing people the mistake they made immediately after they made it when it's still fresh in their mind. But maybe if they are so much in a rush that they are making this mistake, maybe training is not the best way to be delivered in that specific moment. This is Lock and Code, a Mauerbytes podcast. I'm your host, David Reese. There's a cybersecurity practice at most medium and large size companies today that works slightly on deception. It goes like this. You get an urgent email from within your company, maybe from your IT manager, maybe from your operations department. And in that email, you're told that even though you've never heard of this before, guess what? The company is switching to a new benefits provider, or it's rolling out a brand new software tool, and to complete that new integration today, you need to click this link, sign into your corporate account, and connect your user ID. And so, because you're doing a million things already, and because the email looks like it's come from a trustworthy source, you click the link, you enter your credentials, and... Haha! You've been made a rube of! You fool! There's no new benefits provider. There's no new project management tool. There is only the embarrassment of failing a simulated test email sent by your company to gauge how vulnerable its employees are to one of the most pernicious online threats today. Phishing. Phishing is an unfortunate fact of online life. You've likely encountered a phishing attempt, and you may have even fallen for one, giving up personal information like an account name and a password or a credit card number. It's nothing to be ashamed of, as phishing is designed to prey on our emotions. There are the phishing emails that promise a deal, saying that all you need to do is enter a little bit more information to win a promotion or a raffle. There are the phishing emails that work on our familiarity, disguised to come from someone or something that we already know. There are the phishing emails that even take advantage of the mundane nature of being online today, like a phishing email that says your account information is out of date or that your credit card number is no longer working for a subscription. The personal risks here can be enormous, yes, but for companies, there's also a lot at stake. Fraudulent invoices can lead to fraudulent payments, of course, but employees could also unwittingly give up their corporate account credentials, which, with enough luck and skill from a threat actor, could lead to a breach further down the road. To protect themselves, companies have rolled out many defense practices. There are the warning notifications in employees' email clients. There are programs to get everyone to report phishing to the IT team together. And there is that one practice that we've already discussed and that we're most interested in today. The simulated phishing email and its corresponding training lessons. As many of you may have already experienced, when you fail those simulated phishing tests, they don't just go down a black hole to be forgotten. Instead, they may trigger a follow-up training session. You failed the phishing test, your company says. Now take the opportunity to learn a bit more about what you did wrong. Those sessions can be voluntary, they can be mandatory, they can be interactive, they can have a quiz at the end, or they can just be a static web page pointing out the mistakes in the email you fell for. The point is, they come in a lot of flavors. 
This is what is sometimes referred to as contextual training or embedded training, educational sessions that are contextually based on recent phishing test failures, which are embedded into your workday. You have to get them done while at work. And if that sounds like a hassle, It's important to remember that starting about 10 years ago, there was quite a bit of research supporting this approach. We thought that there was no better time to educate someone on their mistakes than exactly after they'd made those mistakes. But a new long-term analysis shows us that this practice could make people worse at recognizing and falling for phishing, which is worrying because it is an extremely popular practice. Today, to help us understand phishing defenses, we're speaking with Daniele Lain, a PhD candidate at the ETH Zurich University in Switzerland. Daniele recently completed a lengthy research project with his university cohort about phishing detection and defenses inside a large company and his team discovered some surprising things. With that, Daniele, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Of course, yeah, thanks for being on the show. So let's get right into it. Let's start a little bit before we get into your research. And I just wanted to understand, can you just give us a brief history of phishing and its technological advancements over the years? Because as I understand, folks have gotten better at phishing. So what leaps have happened in phishing technology in recent history? Yeah, definitely. Fishing had a lot of evolution since starting the early 1990s, I would say. One could say it began with simple malware spreading, so people sending emails around and trying to get people to download executables and getting folks to run programs. For example, we had these I Love You malware beginning of 2000 that spread a lot around the world. But of course, similarly to how malware evolved from simple destructive actions to economic incentives, this happened similarly to phishing when people realized that they could get more valuable information than just smashing someone's computer. So phishers use a lot what is called a set of psychological triggers. The main ones are scarcity and consistency. And we saw that evolving a lot over the years. And people, of course, folks are getting better at using these triggers. So when you have scarcity, you want your victims to believe that time is short and they need to take immediate action. For example, they need to open the invoice that is attached as soon as possible because they have to pay some outstanding fees. Otherwise, their package is going to get bounced back to wherever. And you want consistency. So you want that, haha, I know the sender feeling on your victim. So you would like people to say, yeah, sure, I am awaiting a package from this delivery company, or maybe I'm not waiting for any delivery company or any package to be delivered, but I know them and it might be someone. And if you go to a corporate environment, then it's very difficult to know whether someone of your colleagues ordered something and maybe you're just a responsible person. You're the secretary who's supposed to simply sign in for an incoming package. And now you see something that is there outstanding. Of course, you want to check what's that about. I would say it's a very human feeling somehow. We have people whose job is 
90% to read emails and to click on emails. So I say it's unfair to say they are guilty, right? And you want to move defenses to, especially in a corporate environment, to the company itself. Of course, you want to train users, as you said before, and I guess as we will talk about later. But I would also say you need to protect your own people. And in terms of evolution, this will get more and more important because training can also get obsolete. So just to make a simple example, we were teaching people for years about this green lock idea in browsers. So we told the people for years that they should check for the green padlock or the padlock next to the URL in browsers because that meant that it was trustworthy. And of course, this made sense, uh, say, 10 to 15 years ago, because it used to be very tricky for someone to acquire a certificate. It was a bit more difficult for common Joes, for normal people. (laughs) You needed to interact with some company, you need to pay money, and you needed to maybe verify your ID. A lot of companies that were giving out TLS certificates and certificates for websites, they wanted to know their customers. But nowadays you can get them anonymously and for free with services like Let's Encrypt. And the anti-phishing working group says that roughly 80% of all phishing websites that are served in 2021 and 2022 are HTTPS websites. So of course, we were teaching people for years to make sure that the website is somehow authentic uh, with this padlock uh, and now all of a sudden this is not true anymore and this is obsolete information and so with the evolution of phishing we also have to change how we tell people about it and unfortunately attackers are always uh, one step ahead quite often so it's not easy what's happening nowadays is that phishing is moving to social media a lot i've seen a lot of cryptocurrency phishing scams, for example, on Twitter. And you can do that experiment. If you mention you're having problems with some exchange of uh, cryptocurrencies in Twitter or some service that offers you to buy or sell Bitcoins, or nowadays you get uh, non-fugible tokens, for example, if you mention you have problems, quite immediately you will get tons of replies from accounts that say, hey, yeah, exchange XYZ support here. What's your problem? Can you tell us your credentials so we can help you? And so, of course, this is a new type of phishing that one would not expect. And it's not easy because, well, Twitter mitigates phishing by telling you which ones are verified accounts, if you are a company, Mm -hmm. if you are a business, Mm -hmm. but this is not always true. And a lot of people don't know that. And it's a simple visual cue again. So not super easy. And we are seeing a lot of advances in the way people leverage psychology to fish. And so it's not only an evolution in technological solutions, but also in psychological and social engineering skills. So for example, something that is very, very popular lately is a technique called double barrel, where you don't send your phishing email immediately. So remember when we said one of the principles of phishing is consistency. I know the sender. But maybe sometimes you are not expecting a package or a delivery or an invoice or a malicious attachment. Well, you don't know it's malicious, of course. So you're not expecting for anything. So the first contact that the fisher makes to you via email, for example, is an email that says, hey, your delivery is scheduled for next week. Kind regards, your delivery company. No link, no nothing, no attachment, nothing that would indicate that the email is malicious. And now it gets into your head that, yeah, a package will arrive somehow. And you 
think, well, weird, I'm not expecting anything, but this goes into background somehow in your mind. And then one week later, the fisher actually sends the real phishing to you. And so when you receive an invoice or a notice that your package has been bounced back because you have to pay some fees or log in with some credentials or pay 10 bucks via PayPal, then even if you're not expecting anything, you expect the email because you remember the previous week you received something about the package. So yeah, you know that. And this is a new technique that is, I would say, as important as the technological advances that fishers are doing in uh, hiding their deceptive websites or finding the new fancy kit that is able to copy 100% of the target web page and evade detection by crawlers of companies that do anti-phishing. Because in the end, this is a problem that is 50% technological and 50% psychological. Somehow, there's a strong human factor in phishing. With so many advancements, that double-barrel technique, extremely clever to get it into your head that something's going to happen next week, so expect the email so you're a little more primed to click on something that you shouldn't. With advancements both in technology and in psychology, What have companies done to protect their employees? Because you said earlier, right, that corporations are doing, there has to be some defenses on their side and not just training users. It sounds like there might have to be a balance there. Let's just understand how have companies typically defended their employees from phishing over the years? Well, phishing still arrives most prominently, especially in corporations, via emails. So the main line of defense has to be and is still emails. And so, of course, what you want to do there is to have some sort of clever filtering. And this exists in so many forms and so many types and is offered by many extremely good companies. So, for example, what you want to do at the easiest level, of course, is to simply check for known patterns and known attacks. And you simply monitor all the emails that are incoming and you check whether some strings are in there, some known triggers. And of course, this covers you from the most inexperienced attackers, I would say. We all know the famous prince scams where someone claims to be from some royal family somewhere in the world (laughs) and they are on the run and they need your help with depositing some money. But hey, you need to give some back because... Of course, right. But this is very old fashioned somehow. And to detect the strings is somehow not enough anymore. There are more and more clever filtering techniques. So recently, a variation of a very popular fish that asks you for cryptocurrencies by telling you that they compromised your computer and they recorded everything you did through the webcam. And of course, you're a naughty boy or naughty girl, (laughs) depends on the receiver. And the clever technique they were using there is to always change the Bitcoin amount they wanted by a tiny, tiny, tiny amount. So, you know, if someone was filtering for an exact number, all of a sudden it becomes more difficult. Or there's even emails where if you look at the raw HTML code, you don't see anything. You only see a bunch of garbage. But then when they are rendered, all the letters go into position, almost like if you were doing a collage of letters from a newspaper and they form the malicious text. So, you know, all of a sudden, simply filtering for text content is not enough anymore. So you get solutions that what they do, they try to render emails on their server side before giving them to the employees. And then they do OCR, so text recognition 
on the screen to see whether there is something hidden in there, because sometimes you also get fishers that send phishing emails uh, that are made purely of images, because of course, if you're looking for special strings uh, in the body, yeah. if I send you three images full of text, uh, then I can fool your mechanism. So when you discover these, and that's why I say it's an arms race, and somehow you always have to run uh, after the cleverness of these attackers. Uh, because, hey, who would think about texting image uh, until you see that? And so solutions nowadays, they have to perform so many controls if you deploy them at a corporate level in front of your employees' mailboxes. And you want text recognition. You want to see whether it renders in a weird way. You want to try to open all the attachments and execute them, of course, and see whether they cause something. And you also want to make sure that the fishers do not notice that it's actually you doing that. You need the fisher to think that the victim is actually performing that while you're checking. It's quite common, for example, for phishing links, when you click them and when they are visited by a security tool or a security crawler to return two different things. So when the victim visits them, then you get the proper fake login of your bank or of your corporation, of your company portal. Mm -hmm. But then when they get crawled by security companies or even the internal solutions of uh, big corporations, they just get back a blank page because they can detect with IP addresses, with geolocation. So I'm sending, so I'm based in Switzerland and I suppose I'm an attacker and I'm sending something to a Swiss company. Then if all of a sudden I see my phishing link, my phishing website being visited by different IP addresses in California, then I might suspect that it is some security vendor trying to see whether my website is legitimate or not. So I will never give back the phishing web page to these folks, right? And sometimes it's simple details, sometimes it's tricky details from user agent, so the strings that your browser sends that, which sometimes are different if you have a security solution. So there's plethora of cat and mouse games that you have to play if you want to protect your employees uh, on a technological level. And on the other side, as we said before, what you also want to do is to train your people to recognize reasonable emails and the issues that reasonable is not always well-defined. People's jobs, some folks' job is literally to receive emails from unknown people. Think about someone who does public relationships, for example, or someone who's the front face of a company and needs to receive vendors or customers' questions or emails. So, of course, that's why I said reasonable is not always well-defined in terms of email. And that's why education needs to evolve and needs to be deployed by companies so that people learn to be less gullible. And sometimes it's about being gullible, but also sometimes attackers are simply smarter than people and they prepare something which even experts would fall for. And we need to learn how to protect people as well as computers. Yeah. And one of the ways that we are trying to protect people, and this is something that you and fellow PhD students researched over like a 15-month period, a very in-depth research project with a large company, I think of over 10,000 or 15,000 employees, a large place. <laughs> you folks looked at which of these defenses were working, and something that 
I found particularly interesting is, again, that idea of contextual training, of someone failing like a phishing test email sent by the company itself to its employees as a sort of learning experience. And when they failed it, they're told, hey, I, I have to do an additional training. You folks looked at that and you found a pretty surprising adverse effect for it, specifically in the way it was implemented in your experiment. So can you explain your experiment broadly and also just drill down into what it revealed about contextual training? All right, so let me start by explaining a bit the setting in this company, and then we can see what we actually did. So as you said, uh, there's this common practice of sending simulated phishing emails to your employees uh, if you're a company. So we asked ourselves, can we see if this actually works uh, in a real setting uh, if we deliver this type of training for a very long time? Because quite often when you buy this type of product as a company, you are making an investment. So you, of course you want to deliver your training to all your employees, which makes it difficult to understand whether it actually works or not. We had this unique opportunity instead to try to give this training to half of the people in our study. And to half of them, we didn't do anything. So we used them as a control condition. And this was nice of the company to allow us because of course they were effectively risking not training their employees for a very long time, yeah. for a year and a half of the duration of our experiment. This company is pretty big. They have uh, 60,000 employees. Uh, we were able to test uh, our hypothesis on roughly 15,000 of them, which was uh, great. It's an enormous uh, playground, I would say. <laughs> And it's something that you don't often see in academia. And it's very nice that we could test uh, these control conditions. So what we did was basically we split uh, all these participants in half. And all the participants were informed at the very beginning that uh, as of usual corporate practice, they would be keeping on receiving phishing emails. And then nothing happened for a while because you want people to forget that they might be subject to simulated phishing emails. Otherwise, uh, you get this effect when you say, hey, we will deploy simulated phishing for a while now be careful, you get this initial moment where everybody is super careful and everybody <laughs> is cautious, everybody is reporting even legitimate stuff because you don't know. <laughs> I mean, they just told you, hey, we yeah. are going to try to scam you. Yeah. Be careful. Of course, right. you will be careful. And uh, sometimes the consequences are also a bit unclear. I know there's companies out there where if you fail too many of these simulated fishes, then you get your access to the corporate mailbox shut off. And yeah, if you cannot access your mailbox, you can't work anymore. Or maybe you get kicked out of the corporate network for one week, which essentially means you can't work for one week. Yeah, that uh, seems severe. <laughs> that's really extreme, yeah. <laughs> Instead, in this company, luckily, there were no penalties applied because they mostly wanted to trade their own people uh, without any penalty. And also, they want to use this to measure how their posture is. So, of course, they don't want to be overly aggressive in this term. After this email went out, uh, telling people that there will be a continuation of simulated phishing, uh, we waited for a while, and then we actually started delivering uh, our simulated phishing to all the people in our two groups. And one group uh, was receiving 
our test emails and if they fell for the fish and by falling i don't mean simply clicking on the link but clicking on the link getting a login web page for their corporate credentials and inserting their corporate credentials in them so a proper mistake yeah as if someone would completely fall for the fish in this case half of our population would uh, receive their training. So what happens is uh, the, the flow of the training would be they click on the link, they get redirected to a web page that is our fake login, they would input their credentials, and when they submit it, the web page would uh, redirect to our training web page. Mm -hmm. The training web page was featuring, hey, you were caught, some nice image and then a good explanation of what happened uh, don't worry it was us but you just fell for a simulation pay attention you should have noticed that first the sender was weird there was a zero instead of a no maybe or mm -hmm. it was an attempt to gain your trust but it's clearly not the part of the organization and uh, second uh, well you were not expecting this type of attachment maybe or you were mm -hmm. not expecting that we are moving to a new system because nobody ever announced that we were moving to a new system to manage vacations. So why did you log mm -hmm. in in that? And explaining all the different clues that people could have used to figure out that it was a scam. And then it was finishing with uh, the opportunity for the employee to take a quiz or to watch a video about the dangers of of email phishing and this was actually tailored to the specific clues you might uh, get and further informational resource and this we call as you said embedded training because it's embedded in their workday they are working they receive the simulation which could be a real attack they click on that and now it's time to learn exactly in the moment where and when you would have made a mistake and uh, the other half of our population didn't get any of these. So they were getting the, our simulated emails, uh, but if they were falling for the scam, falling for the fish, they would simply get uh, redirected to the homepage of the corporation. So like a normal phishing attempt, when it goes through, you get redirected somewhere safe. You don't notice what happened because you don't want people to realize they might have been scammed because you don't want people to go and change their password or to alert the IT administrators. And so with this, we could actually see if it was working not in terms of the specific performance of uh, the people in the training group, uh, whether they were getting better over the month, because this also depends a lot on whether your emails have the same difficulty to create training emails that are always the same difficulty is very complicated and you don't want to reuse any but instead we could measure whether people in the training group were, were getting better with respect to the people that are not receiving any training and this is what i think was quite a unique opportunity by giving up training on half of our population, we could see whether the half of the population that was receiving training was actually improving and was getting better with these terms, uh, regardless of whether an email is more or less difficult than the one that arrived before. And so it is a bit more or less likely to be clicked on or to be fell for. And what we saw is that very interestingly, if you do it like this, uh, when you get training appearing, when you fall for simulated emails, uh, somehow it becomes much more likely that you actually fall for the subsequent phishing attempts that we made to these people. And it was more likely 
than the people that were not receiving any training. And if they got fished by our simulated fishes, they were continuing with their days uh, happy as before and without knowing anything uh, and without realizing anything about this attack. This finding, as simply as you presented it, it kind of goes against like everything we thought, though, right? Like, as you said, 10 years ago, there was a lot of research and we thought, what better time to do it than the moment of the mistake? So this is like a pretty big deal is what I'm just trying to understand. Like this is counter to the things we understood, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it goes against research that we saw in the past and it also goes against a bit of a common wisdom uh, that if you expose people to some of these scams uh, and also you tell them hey these were scams uh, so be careful in the future you would expect people to get better and this is a bit confusing to us as well so now we are working on follow-ups to try to understand why this is happening so of course i have to specify we are observing these uh, while we are delivering a very specific form of training Mm -hmm. so the training here was not mandatory it was following very good uh, corporate practices and industry practices in being at the very moment of the mistake, uh, explaining very clearly what was going wrong. And this is applied by a lot of companies. But of course, some of them might make the training mandatory. So what if when you fall for this type of attack by your own employer, what if now you have to read the resources and then obtain a minimum score on some e-learning, on some quiz maybe about phishing? Or they show you emails and now you have to decide whether they are phishing or not for a while until you learn something about it. Instead, in our case, it was voluntary. So you got this resource popped up and you could read it or not, but you could also close it because that's what a lot of companies do. They don't want to make it mandatory. Uh, They don't want to have uh, quizzes immediately after because anyway, you are stopping people in the middle of uh, work. Mm -hmm. So maybe you can tell them, hey, yeah, take a look now, but I'm not forcing you. And with this specific setting, we saw that it is not working. And that's very weird. Uh, So (laughs) we are trying to analyze it. We are trying to give some answers. Uh, We have a few hypotheses, but nothing definitive yet. Uh, So yeah, can you share what some of those hypotheses are? Absolutely. One of the possibilities is that when people fall for phishing, uh, they often fall for phishing because they are in a rush because maybe they received 150 emails from the previous day and now it's 8 a.m. in the morning and they have to manage them all because they have a tight schedule and they can't really dedicate the whole day to emails. And all of a sudden they are in a rush. And if you are in a rush, it's more likely that you fall for phishing because remember, one of the triggers that fishers use is this principle of scarcity. Time is short. Please act now. Hey, I am the CEO. I need you to do this bank transfer of one million as soon as possible because otherwise the company is screwed, which we might laugh about it, but it was a real attack that happened three years ago to a secretary of the European Union of some 
important figure in the European Union, if I remember correctly. And thanks to these uh, super tailored spare fishing, they were able to convince the secretary to do a money transfer of more than one million without uh, asking for a second opinion or, you know, without picking up the phone and calling the real person and saying, hey, yeah, yeah. did you really just send me an email for this money transfer? Wow. And so... Yeah, people are in a rush quite often. And if you are in a rush, it's much more likely that you fall for phishing. And so if you are in a rush and you are so much in a rush that you fall for what is maybe sometimes an obvious scam, do you really have the time to go through page of explanation, some e-learning resources, a video that tells you what you did wrong, or maybe even a quiz? Well, if you are forced, you have to. But if you're not forced... Do you really have the time? And a lot of people we, we interviewed after this study to understand a bit more what were their ways of reasoning and what happened when they fell again and again for simulated fishes despite the training we were giving them. A lot of the reasoning we heard was, yeah, I was in a rush. I fell for it. I just came back from vacation. I had a full inbox. I absolutely had to manage it. So I was going quickly through all of them. And it makes a sense. So it made us wonder, is this really the right time to deliver training? Because I understand the appeal of showing people the mistake they made immediately after they made it when it's still fresh in their mind. But maybe if they are so much in a rush that they are making this mistake, maybe training is not the best way to be delivered in that specific moment. Maybe some classroom or some one-on-one or some group learning sometime later when it's scheduled, maybe even going through the specific email that uh, they fell for would be better maybe. We don't know yet. Uh, We would like to test it. uh, And I think there are some companies that do that because uh, especially this whole embedded training, uh, training while you're working, uh, is pretty new, as I said. It's roughly 10 years, but of course, uh, fishing education goes before that. And it's often still, and it used to be way more in forms of uh, classroom education. You get resources, you get an expert that teaches your employees what is fishing and what wrong with uh, some specific emails. I don't know whether we should go back to that, but what we saw is that uh, the specific moment uh, when people are most vulnerable to phishing uh, might not be the best moment to actually deliver this type of training. Another hypothesis that we have is that uh, people get aware through training that there is some form of training going on. So we cannot exclude that some of these people knew that it was training due to them falling for maybe the first simulated phishing email and then understanding that the company is doing something and then receiving a second one. And now now they know that it is phishing, maybe thanks to the training or maybe due to the fact that the email is made worse or is easier to detect. But then now they say, oh, yeah, I know that this is an exercise. I know that this is a simulation because the company protects me properly. And if I receive phishing, it has to be a simulation. So I'm going to click on it because I want to see it, because I want to see what they invented. And this is also a possibility. We think that this also happens. And so 
we don't know, and we are a bit worried, of course, about uh, whether this type of training makes people overly relaxed, makes people overly confident on the defenses uh, that the company is deploying in front of them. And the fact that they see something fishy, they think, well, it has to be an exercise because I am very secure here. I am more secure at work than I am at home. So I will click on it. But one day that will not be an exercise, right? (laughs) And you don't want that. What a wild effect that people, because they know that their company is rolling out phishing training, because they know that there are simulations, they feel more comfortable. And they're like, oh, this one, like you said, there's just sort of this weird curiosity, just like, oh, I kind of want to see what they've dreamt up. I wanted to wrap up here and understand if I'm a large company, if I'm a medium-sized company, and I'm hearing this and I'm understanding for the first time, hey, maybe this method doesn't work as well as we wanted it to. Maybe there's another way. I think there's a little bit of panic, right? If I'm a company, I'm like, oh my goodness, I, I've done this. I've rolled it out. I've been doing it for years. Maybe I'm paying a vendor to do this for me. And now I'm hearing it's not producing the results or it, there could be times when it doesn't produce the results I want. It may even produce adverse results. And so my question here is, what else can I do? You know, if I'm a corporation, what does work? <laughs> this is a very difficult question indeed. So I would say our main message is to continue training people because that's clearly the direction we want to go because now it's still email phishing but today we are also getting as we discussed before social media phishing and that's substantially more difficult to detect with normal technological solutions and we are starting to get sms phishing what is usually called uh, smishing which is again another attack surface that is often outside the boundaries of what a company protects and what about the future what about when we will start getting robocalls with phishing? Because we are starting to observe that now. And now that we can get artificial intelligence to basically talk to us in a reasonable way, well, I expect phishing via robocalls to increase and increase. So clearly, educating people is still the way to go. What I think is the main message of our work here and of the works that we are continuing to do in the area is to evaluate carefully what is working and what is not. So evaluate whether your performance of people getting better is worse. Is simply because maybe the simulated emails are changing in difficulty or because it is actually working. I would recommend to keep some control group so that you can test the effectiveness of the education that you're doing, if possible. Not every company has the size to to do so, and I understand that. But I would recommend to be careful and maybe even having some more conventional training on the side and instead of only relying on these embedded and contextual training so that from time to time you give people a refresher of real threats. And you can also use real examples, of course, but you do that so in a setting where people know they are about to learn, they are more focused, they have more time, and they maybe are more prone to learning and understand whether, yeah, this practice of subjecting your employees to simulated phishing is what makes the most sense for you. Daniele, with that, I just wanted to thank you again for coming on today's show. Thank you for having me. This was a pleasure. To our listeners at home, 
we'll talk to you again in two weeks. Until then, stay tuned and stay safe. And remember, you can read all our cybersecurity coverage on Malwarebytes Labs at blog.malwarebytes.com. And please, if you like what you heard today, follow and review our show.